RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Monday morning is our Health Hacks morning here on Reality Check Radio now. And Glenn Davies, I reckon you're the most popular doctor in the country now. Glenn? Oh, thank you very much. That's <laughs> that's um, concerning or reassuring or something. Or, or maybe the most popular on RCR Breakfast Show. That narrow, okay. narrows it down a bit now. I'll ha- I'm happy with that one. Now, um, we talked alcohol last week. And before that, it was the keto diet. I've got a question from a listener on the keto diet, if you don't mind. Um, if you are using the diet to sort of reset your condition, let's say, is it something that you can carry on with, you know, for the rest of your life or is that problematic? I think was the essence of the question. Yeah, you know, that's a fantastic question that I, I don't have a simple answer to, but something that I've been thinking about a lot. You know, would you stay on a ketogenic diet for life? I, I think my intuitive response to that is that you'd use the strict ketogenic diet to fix your health problem. And then I, I think you would ease off to a low-fat Mediterranean-style diet, if possible, uh, is, is my answer. And, you know, I got really excited about ketogenic diets five years ago, and I've been using them to reverse all sorts of conditions which I previously thought were irreversible. But now, five years down the track, we're looking at the next issue, which is exactly the one that the viewer um, asked, what do you do when you have reversed the condition? I think most people can ease off, and I think most people can go to a low-carb diet, but nobody can go back to eating that standard American diet, which is full of both sugar and fat. Right. And there was just another um, uh, question as well, or just a comment that I thought I'd share with you as well from a woman who wrote in and she'd been in hospital a few years ago uh, following a heart attack and described the food that she got. And now she's um, an enthusiast in this area. So she could sort of measure off what she was being served then with what she's consuming now. But one point she did make, which caught my attention was that the joint pains and the sort of arthritic pains that she's had since she was a kid have all disappeared. Yeah, that's extraordinary, isn't it, that um, joint pains can be fixed by basically cutting out sugar and polyunsaturated vegetable oils, which are inflammatory. So, you know, how many people have joint pains and how many people have muscle pains that they could fix quite simply by eating food. I know. It's so simple. So anyway, uh, thanks for your feedback, folks. And uh, if you have any questions uh, for Glenn or any comments to make, um, I'll pass them on. So there you go. All right. So alcohol last week. Now we're into actual food, fundamental food. What uh, I remember that George Harrison song, What is Life? I'm going to retitle it. What is food? What is food? And isn't that to some extent the most ridiculous question to ask? And I imagine my, uh, my grandfather, he was Frederick John Stanley Adam QSM. And I, um, I imagine if I was talking to him now, uh, he's, he's passed away. But if I was talking to him and he said, Glenn, what do you do? And I said, well, I teach people to eat food. I encourage them to get some exercise and I make sure that they sleep properly. 
he would roll over, wouldn't he? He'd go, well, that is just ridiculous because what else would you eat but food? You know, what else would you drink but water? And and why do people have trouble sleeping? You know, so, you know, in that that short period of time between when Frederick John Stanley Adam was a young man and, and now, the fact that we're having to teach people what to eat and what is food in some ways is quite ridiculous, but it's actually really important because it's my belief that a large number of people are not eating food. They're eating some other chemical creation, which is not food. So let's start if we could just define what food is. So I think food is something that provides us with both the macronutrients, so carbohydrate, proteins, and fats to sustain our energy, and also supplies the micronutrients to allow our body to do all the biochemical processes that it needs to do. So it needs to provide building blocks and energy, and it needs to provide minerals and vitamins. So if it doesn't do that, then I expect by definition it's not a food. So hmm. another, another definition of food is that your great-grandmother would recognise it, which if you think about walking around the supermarket, I expect she'd recognise the stuff around the outside. You know, you kind of go past the fruit and the veggies and then the chicken and the fish and the meat and that's about it, isn't it? You know, you, you'd yeah. hopefully walk out. If she wandered into those dangerous internal aisles of the supermarket where danger lurks, I expect that the majority of things in there she wouldn't recognise. She she wouldn't know that they were food and she certainly wouldn't be game enough to eat them. Yeah, I think you're absolutely <laughs> right. I, I almost felt as you were talking about those um, middle aisles, you know, that we should be playing the Jaws music. <laughs> you should. Um, you're allowed to go in there to get toothpaste and toilet paper, but, but really nothing else. I was just imagining, and, and I'm thinking back to when I was a kid, but even further than that, the era that you were just talking about before with, with your relative there. And, you know, what would have been on the table at dinner time? Mm -hmm. I know that's probably an easy answered question, but it would have been, what, just spuds of meat, yeah. a roast or something, um, the vegetables that you can grow in the back garden probably. Yes. And, and, and that, would, that would be it, wouldn't it? Absolutely. And it's simple, uncomplicated food. For breakfast, there was probably eggs of some description. And um, lunch, I, I don't know, I guess they, they made bread and there probably would have been um, leftovers inside the bread and it wouldn't have been much more than that. You know, the stuff you can grow on your property was largely what they would have been eating. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure there are some old pictures out there, you know, showing the traditional Kiwi dinner table or the Aussie dinner table. We could look into those. So when you say it's not food, you're basically saying it's some kind of chemical concoction. Yeah. Right? Is that what yeah. it is? Yeah. So I've, um, oh, before I just go on to that, there's another definition that I'd, I'd like to provide for what food is. It's recently been growing, swimming, flying, or walking. So it's recently been growing, swimming, flying, or walking. And if it doesn't meet that definition, it's probably not food. And that's probably quite 
a good definition as well. So what's not food then? So if that's what food is, what's not food? So the first thing is maybe if it's got a food label on it, it's less likely to be food. So, you know, when you read the food label on a cauliflower or a fish, you know, and I'm being silly because it doesn't have a food label, doesn't it? It's just got a cauliflower's just got one ingredient, which is cauliflower, and a fish has just got one ingredient, which is fish. So it doesn't really need a food label, but don't give them ideas, <laughs> Glenn. <laughs> so, uh, but I've got a couple of products here, and I'd I'd like to look at the food labels, and in fact, I'd like to rename them as warning labels. You know, if it's got a food label, consider it a warning label, and a good rule. It's possibly still food if it's got less than five ingredients. If it's got five ingredients or more, it's unlikely to be food, especially if you can't pronounce some of the ingredients, and even especially if some of those ingredients are numbers. So what I've got in front of me, you, you can see this, Paul, but our, our listeners... Okay, so let me interpret what I'm seeing. It looks like a, a punnet of noodles. Yeah, two-minute noodles. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to read the ingredient list. And the first thing is I had to have magnifying glasses to read it because they write it so small to start it, with. Is that on purpose? Yeah. Oh, maybe. I expect so. Well, you know, if you because I've tried to look at food labels that are too small and even with my glasses on, and I just think, oh, I can't be bothered reading this. And It's too hard. It's too hard. And I wonder if the, the, that's the, the desired response. Yeah. So first, a few rules about reading nutrition information. Read the second column, which is per 100 grams. So it's gram per 100 grams. So it gives you a percentage. So the, the first column is usually per serving. And we don't know what they consider a serving. You know, like it's a serving of Tim Tams might be one serving. And, and who, who has ever just eaten one Tim Tam biscuit? Exactly right. <laughs> okay. Like this is the ingredients in these two-minute noodles. It contains wheat flour, 62%, then refined palm oil, and then there's an antioxidant, 319, and then there's some starch, some salt, an acidity regulator, and that's got three numbers next to it, and then another colour, 101, and then it goes on to the seasoning powder, which has got a whole lot more, and then there's seasoning oil, which got like a, a whole lot more numbers. So there's not much in there that's actually, apart from the wheat flour, which I wouldn't consider to be very healthy to start with, that I would consider food. So that's two-minute noodles. Wow. Okay. And that's all just designed to get the taste and look right, all those yeah. things, right? That's yeah. what that is? Yeah. And, and there is a bit of conversation to have here because – I do understand that the food that we're talking about, the meat, the fish, the chicken, the vegetables and the fruit, is a lot more expensive than two-minute noodles and white bread, and I, I completely understand that. And I realise that you and I, Paul, are in a privileged um, position because we do have the ability to choose those healthy options. You know, and there's many people where two-minute noodles and, and white bread is probably their only option. So I do acknowledge our, our privilege in this area. Yeah, but in saying that, and that's fair enough, but in saying that, you've you got to invest in yourself. Uh, you, you maybe should not be 
spending on what, what's more important, data on your phone or, you know, the stuff of life? Yeah, um, and and there's, there's definitely validity in that. But on top of that, there are people and I think a large number of people in our community we're just putting some food on the table is is a challenge and no, I, I, agree. Yeah, I, 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 accept, yeah. I feel I feel completely for them, especially if you're a parent and you're struggling to put food on the table for your children. You know, I I really want to acknowledge those people. And I, I guess this is where we have to think about the role of, of central government in this. You know, if if people, if all that there are, if some people and all they can afford is white bread and two minutes noodles, you know, is there a responsibility to correct that situation? Because I believe that everyone should have the opportunity to eat healthy food as a basic requirement. How how that happens, I'm not sure. But you know, if I if I was the Minister of Health for a day, and Paul, I'm certainly not putting my hand up for that um, job. Uh, not 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 by any means, but one thing, if I could change, I would love to see GST removed from healthy food. That that would be the one change that I would make. That's come up. That debate's come up a few times that I can remember in the last few decades. And the answer is always, it's too hard to do. But yet it's done in Australia, you know, with uh, food items. Um, if, if I was health minister for a day, I... <laughs> Um, wouldn't that be good? Um, I would um, probably have some sort of system to deliver um, through some of the established means that are already out there, the services, deliver a, um, I wouldn't call it a rations pack because you don't want to undersupply, but enough for the needs if it's not going to be affordable in, in the normal course of things. And I don't think anyone would have a problem with that, actually. Because it's, oh, um, you can't you argue could, against that. Huh? Perhaps you and I could co-chair that committee for the day. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. But it wouldn't be difficult. You just, um, you know, what are those home delivery systems that are out there? And, uh, I mean, how much does a box of fruit and vegetables cost, really? It's not that much. And especially with the wastage. All the food that's wasted could be corralled and used. And I'm talking about the usable food, not the perished or off food, because we know from people we've talked to, there's a huge amount of wastage. So that food is just, mm. you know, it's just rotting. Uh, it's not yeah. being used by people. And that's criminal, isn't it? To, to think that that food's being discarded just because it doesn't look right. You know, it's, it's not that it's expired. It's not that it's unhealthy. It just doesn't look right. And in some ways, the food that doesn't look right, you might trust more than the food that looks perfect because to make it look perfect it's probably been sprayed and goodness knows what else yeah mm. so so there's can we say and we're not talking about the brand here so we're not sort of singling anything out but that example of the two minute noodles that's not going to do anything for your health at all is it it's just going to okay. fill your, your tummy a little maybe give you a little bit of energy mm. that's it right that's right it's supplying calories but not supply supplying health. It's not supplying micronutrients. It's going to be high in carbs, low in healthy fats, low in protein. All that that can achieve is to fill your tummy, which in fairness, if if you are struggling, you know, that is important. But 
it does not create health. And what, what we're about on the show is what does health look like? And I can guarantee it doesn't come from white bread and two-minute noodles. What about, though, people's uh, food education? See, even, even me, I've learned so much since I've been here at RCR just from talking to people like you. And, and I used to think I you know, kind of knew what healthy food was. Turned out I, I didn't have much of a clue at all. Yeah. Actually. Yeah, well, I guess that's that's what we're about on on this segment, isn't it? Where we're about, you know, providing some information and stimulating people to think about what health looks like. And I would say, without exception, it starts with eating well and eating food rather than these non-food items. So eating things which have recently been growing or swimming or flying or walking is a pretty good definition, and avoiding ultra-processed foods. So ultra-processed foods are things with a high human interference factor, so things which have been significantly changed from the way they were when they were growing or swimming or flying, and and avoiding things like this next food item that I'm holding up um, uh. here. So, so this, is, this is Diet Coke. So... If you have a look at the ingredient list, and I'm I actually I can't even read it. I did put magnifying glasses on before to read it, but it's apart from water, it's it's basically numbers. You know, so there is there is no nutrition or value in there. That's not vitamins and minerals. This is why well, I don't know what its purpose is really, but you know, I don't consider that food. That's a, a non-food. Yeah, and how come it's quite often cheaper than the actual water? Isn't it? How does that it's, work? Yeah, there, there is no logic at all to that. I cannot explain that. Yeah. And then we have um, stuff in the water to fix teeth, yet people walk out the door with shopping trolley loads of that stuff. So it's all, it's all up the wazoo, really, the way I see it. Yeah. Um, I, I yeah. suppose it, people get addicted to it. Yeah, there, there's, there's certainly addictive substances uh, in here. The artificial sweetener in here, I, I believe, is addictive. So, yeah, and people are drinking, you know, a litre of this a day or, or more, which, which is not healthful. What does that do to the insides? Yeah, I've, um, I've heard of people dropping a, a coin into into coke and it dissolving i've never tried that have, have you ever tried that but no i haven't but i do remember when i was in news someone died and that was very sad in southland in Vicargill, i think from drinking too much coke i think i remember that and it was and it was eight liters or yes six liters a day or something i i remember that paul and and that is a a lot and, and that probably constitutes a true addiction doesn't it Oh yeah, I used to I used to work with a guy who was a consultant. Used to come over from America and back in the earlier radio days, and we always had to have his Coca Cola ready to go. So he'd arrive and we have cans all stacked up, and through the course of the afternoon, he would he would uh, drink through about eight or nine cans. But the thing is, he lived to his mid eighties, so yeah, <laughs> I don't know how that works. Though that's not the that's not how it should be measured. I mean, you can you can live, but not be very healthy, right? So, yeah, that's that's an interesting concept. The difference between health span and lifespan, you know. So, ideally, we want our health span and our lifespan to match, 
we want to be in good health until our last few dies, days where hopefully we drop dead helping our neighbour repair his roof at age 100. You know, that's that's what we want. But the reality is that the average person is spending 10 years, the last 10 years of their life, with poor health and it being far less enjoyable than it should be. You know, so we want to expand the health span so it matches the lifespan, which would be the ideal situation. We'd certainly do that by eating better food. Do you think people are partial to the message, though? Or do, I mean, you'd see it in the people that you see day to day. Are they so used to doing something a particular way that, that trying to even persuade them to change is an effort? Uh, yes, uh, introducing the topic of, of change and behavioural change is very, very difficult. You know, but I think the stats for stopping smoking is that people have eight or more attempts before they actually stop. So, so stopping a, a habit is very difficult, but there's certainly a lot of science around assisting people with that. Um, and, and that's what we do in our, our business, Reversal NZ, is that we have health coaches who are, are specialists in behavioural change. And the, one of the first things is you don't bring about behavioural change by telling people what to do. You know, it has to be an internal thing. People basically, when you tell them what to do, they just put up a barrier and, and they don't do it. It has to be come from within. That desire to change comes from within, and that starts with understanding. Okay, so I'm just thinking, because um, you have to put a bit of discipline into the system if you're going to eat in the way that we're talking, because it's not instantaneous. You've got to do preparation. There's a bit of work involved. Does it make sense? I know it sounds awfully organised, but does it make sense to actually identify every day in the week um, and maybe schedule in particular foods on particular days. So you get into a habit of always thinking about those foods and obviously becoming practiced in preparing them, which is another factor as well. And then, you know, hopefully it won't be too long that you can measure by the way you feel. I'm thinking of that example of the woman who, who, whose joint pain went away um, and you can see the benefit applying a little bit of discipline is that a that would be a good thing to do wouldn't it yes i i my answer to that question is i think it depends on how your brain works i i think there's some people who do very well with that meal planning so plan the meals for the week go to the supermarket and only buy the things that you will need for those meals uh the people that work like that that works extremely well but there's others of us that are a little bit more casual in our approach and I think uh, for that group of people it's more about understanding what healthy food looks like uh, and distinguishing it from the unhealthy food so the answer to your question is it really depends on how your brain works um, I was just going to say with this concept of of non-foods or ultra processed foods being unhealthy uh, there's a, a scientific experiment they did with rats so they took one group of so two groups of rats. They're identical. Uh, they gave one group of rats normal rat chow, which is pellets. Yeah. Okay. And they ate that. They gave another group of rats exactly the same volume 
of of rat pellets, but they made it into a flour. They put it into a blender and gave it to them as a flour. So the same number of calories. The ones that ate the flour gained weight relative to the ones that ate the pellets. So it's just that minimal amount of processing changed it from it being a amount of food that sustained the rat's weight to an amount of fat that caused, um, sorry, amount of food, well, a type of food which caused them to gain weight. You know, and, and the calories were the same. The difference is that it's absorbed differently if you turned it into a flour. You know, so to me, just that minimal amount of processing um, changed it to an obesogenic food, which which I found quite astounding and revealing. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, sort of counterintuitive if the calories are the same. Yes. But it uh, makes sense if, if that's how it's processed by the body. Well, I was just thinking as you're saying that, even pets, you know, pets love that, you know, manufactured pet food, those little pellets that they and I I know of pets who prefer that to the actual meat. So mm. it seems to run through more than just human beings, that sort of yeah. attraction to that sort of manufactured food. Yeah, I've I've actually done a whole lecture on um on pet food because I I was just looking at that whole topic and going, hang on, hang on, hang on, don't cats and dogs eat meat? And when did they stop? When do cats and dogs stop eating meat? Um, and again, this is the food industry becoming involved because they're trying to get rid of grains. And so they've introduced this idea that um, cats and dogs eat grains and that they need vegetables mixed in there. You know, like that just doesn't make any evolutionary sense to me whatsoever. And you get these expensive, can, um, you know, sexed or bags of of these scientifically designed um, food for cats and dogs, and it's about $100 a bag, isn't it? And yeah, it's, it's not cheap. And I'm going, oh, really? What if we just gave them some meat? But but you're right. They don't like it as much, do they? Because they've got addicted to the flavouring agents and probably deliberate addictive substances they put in there. Well, there's you know, probably so stuff you can put in there for animals you can't for humans, I would imagine. Yeah, one, one interesting little thing, I was reading an article on cat food. It was, and the um, the author was something like Katrina Catley, which I thought was humorous anyway. <laughs> Sorry, that's a side. Yeah, yeah, it's funny how those sorts of uh, name associations can uh, appear. All right, so to sum up this health hacks, you've identified what is food, what is not food. And I think those are easy to remember things. Um, any last thoughts to leave people with before we end this session? Yeah, I think I think it's really important that people eat whole foods. Um, something that's recently been um, growing, flying, swimming, or walking, and it looks like something that your grandmother would still recognise as food. You know, you look at a. a chicken drumstick you can still recognize it's part of a chicken yeah. you know that that's the definition of food don't eat stuff which is highly processed ultra processed and refined and contains a whole lot of ingredients that we don't know what will they will do inside the body we don't know what they'll do to us and avoid that and if if we could eat predominantly whole food 
and avoid predominantly these ultra-processed foods, we would see a dramatic change in health and that would help us to live a long, healthy life and increase our health span uh, and not have this 10 years at the end of our life where we're suffering from joint pains or dementia or crippling heart disease or, or whatever it is, you know, to try and expand that health span is really the goal of what we're about. So eat whole unprocessed foods, avoid things with labels, numbers, you know, like emulsifiers, um, colorings, all that kind of stuff. The price tag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and even better, try and grow it, grow it at home if you can. You know, even if you live in an apartment, vegetables grow so well in um, in pots. So try yeah. and grow it yourself because the the nutrient content of that food will be dramatically higher uh, than than stuff you can buy that's been grown in soils which are less than optimal. And how, how do we um, start a campaign to have GST pulled off the yeah. sort of food we're talking about? How do you think we should do that? Well, we've got an election coming up, and the process of democracy is that our leaders uh, listen to the desires of the people. Um, I would love to see people asking, when they, when they talk to a politician, ask them to do that. Say, I want to, I have the right to eat food and I shouldn't be forced to eat non-foods, what can your party do about it? And I think that will at least be a place to start. I bet you no one's asked any of them that question yet. No, and um, if, if there's any uh, ministers of health uh, uh, listening, then, um, <laughs> then that would be my request that, that that's on the agenda. Uh, that, that would be such a legacy of... Uh, if this show did nothing more, Paul, than um, then, uh, ask, got some people to start asking politicians that question. Well, listeners, write to your local MP and uh, and and put that point to them and tell them tell them you heard it from us. Okay. All right, Glenn. Good to catch up again. What are your thoughts for the next chat or two? You got anything in mind yet? Uh, Not putting on the spot, by the way. You have put me on the spot, actually, because I've just got back from a conference where I, I presented quite a lot on healthy nutrition, uh, on what the healthcare system might look like, on lifestyle medicine, and um, this actually this concept of germ theory versus host theory. Actually, let's talk about that next time. Yeah, I'd be interested in that too because I've heard germ theory and terrain terrain, terrain theory, theory. Is that the other yes. And I think I know what it's about, but I could do with a lot more education on that. By the way, how did how did you go down? Uh, I've re haven't received any hate mail yet, so um, <laughs> I think that's a good sign, is it? Yeah, no, it is. It is. Yeah, I know that one for sure. All right, good to catch up again. Thank you, Glenn, Dr. Glenn Davies of ReversalNZ.co.nz. And if any questions come in, I'll relay them to you or, or mention them in our next chat. Okay? Okay. Thank you, Paul. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.